Hello, and welcome to the Path of Most Persistence. This is a place where we hear and share tenacious stories of overcoming obstacles with our partners who dare to share a bit of their own personal paths. Rob Gorham is the Executive Director of Manufacturing Initiatives and the Secure America Institute for the Texas A&M Engineering Experiment Station, where he is focused on converging manufacturing technology, economics, and policy to empower a resilient United States critical manufacturing, infrastructure, and defense industrial base through applied research, skilled education and workforce development and deployment, and market-driven technology transition. Rob previously served as the executive director of America Makes, the National Additive Manufacturing Innovations Institute, a Department of Defense-sponsored public-private partnership charged with advancing the adoption of 3D printing and additive manufacturing technologies within the United States. Prior to joining America Makes, Rob was a senior manager of the Manufacturing Exploration and Development Group at Lockheed Martin Aeronautics Advanced Development Programs, also known as the Skunk Works. He holds a BS in Aerospace Engineering from Texas A&M University and an MS in Engineering Management from Southern Methodist University. Rob is married to Aaron and has three sons, Porter Harrison, and Bennett. Rob, thank you so much for being with us today. It is a true pleasure. Well, thank you for having me. I talked to you before about how much I just enjoy sharing my story, hearing your story, and just getting a chance to chat. Because sometimes the rigmarole of everyday life makes things very complicated. And it's nice to just take a step back and breathe for a second and that's what these types of forums allow us to do and, and share maybe what some people might get inspired by and excited by. And hopefully we can uh, have some really good discussion over the next uh, few minutes. No doubt we will. And what I'm excited about, Rob, is that you're so accomplished. My intro doesn't give your CV or your bio quite justice, but, uh, but it is an overview. And of course, our audience will be able to find out more because we'll link to all that information when we release your interview but I want to know, um, because you are a part of the Tease system, the Tease family, can you tell us a little bit about some of your major projects right now, some of the things that you're working on? Yeah, there's a couple of them. You know, it's, it's a huge blessing to be in Tease. My prior work really allowed me to appreciate the power of public-private partnerships. And sitting inside the Texas A&M University system, specifically in Tees as a state agency, has really afforded not just me, but our whole team and really the state agency to tackle a couple of really big projects uh, sponsored by, for example, the Department of Defense. Two in particular that we're really excited about is around workforce. Um, the Department of Defense believes that there's huge issues, not just looming, but that are here today around specific skill sets we, we think that there's a major issue right now with the manufacturing pipeline, specifically the middle skills. Um, and there's all kinds of reasons why that's a challenge. We have actually a huge challenge in the state of Texas because we're growing so fast, we can't actually keep up the workforce. And so the DOD has blessed us with a very large program to basically train all over the, the state of Texas, uh, middle skills specifically to support the manufacturing industry. And we call that our Texas Workforce Development Program. Yes. Thank you so much. And just for the sake of our audience, DOD. Department of Defense. Thank yes. You very and, much. and my <laughs> whole career, uh, Valerie, has been in um, 
DOD-related, defense-related national security programs, and so I use acronyms all the time. So forgive me because <laughs> <I, laughs> no. we, we designed airplanes using acronyms and PowerPoint, and so Absolutely. that's kind of funny. And that's what we do here, I, I think, in all levels of education. We speak, we live in acronyms, yeah. and but I, I always try to be cognizant of the fact that maybe some in our audience aren't so much fluent in that area. But one more question, just for clarification for the audience. Middle skills, can you describe... To, to me, the audience, what middle skills are? Yeah, for us, you know, when we think about manufacturing and advanced manufacturing, it's very easy for people to think about, uh, hey, how do you run a machine? How do you yeah. run a 3D printer? How do you run a, a com- computer numerically controlled a machine to go take metal out of a block and turn it into a shape? But the reality is there's a lot of other skills. Um, things as simple as um, how to hold a res- how to do a, a good resume, um, how to actually be respectful to to your bosses. Um, how do you actually start to translate uh, being a good employee uh, when you're inside of a factory to what that means when you walk into an engineering shop, you know, an engineering floor, and you're, you're talking to a bunch of folks that are actually in some very sophisticated uh, trains of you know modes of thinking. So for us, middle skills can be. Um, just how to be a better employee in general. And we are learning a lot of our employers are saying that's a major issue. It's not hard to hire them. It's hard for them to become part of the family with which they've been hired into and contribute in a way that's valuable. So that's sort of the way we think about middle skills. Certainly Dr. Lolly with NTs has probably got a way better definition than, than me. But, but I'm, not a, I'm not a middle skills expert. I just know that that's, that's one of the areas that we're focused on. Well, and that's wonderful. And, and that's one of the real treasures of having you here today because you're in alignment. Everything that you're doing, of course, of course us on a smaller scale, um, we are, have that same mission, that same interest. Yeah. And um, so having you with us is valuable to hear your perspective and to maybe we can learn and take away a few uh, golden nuggets. But... To me, what is very interesting, and, and forgive me because I'm going to go all over the place, but to me, what is quite interesting, in just the brief introduction that I gave for you, you have this background in aeronautics, and uh, and then now you're here in T's, and you're in manufacturing. You, it seems as though you have your hand, your pulse, uh, you're very much connected to everyone, everything. How is that possible, Rob? I mean, how is it that you have this background that's already quite accomplished and impressive, but now you're at the level of working with T's as a statewide agency, working with workforce development and and the DOD? How does that all fit into the day-to-day lives of uh, maybe some in our audience, but also maybe for institute centers such as ours, the Nuclear Power Institute, what can we learn from you, your efforts? Yeah, I, I gave a TED Talk in 2013, and I want to start by answering your question by starting there. Yes. Um, in my TED Talk, I was very vulnerable talking about how I struggled in, in school, really wasn't great in sports. Um, even when I got into A&M, I went back as, a, as kind of a, a joke and looked at my, my grades my first two years, and they weren't, weren't really very good. Um, and I bring that up because I was very introverted coming out of college. Um, I didn't know how to really hold a conversation with anyone. I was your sort of traditional stereotyped engineer who just wanted to sit there and just do good design work. But I got hired into Lockheed Martin, and um, I started running a, a charity golf tournament. And I'll never forget the day that I had to go present the check of that, that we made some money to the, the program manager, the, the, the general manager of the F-35 program. I was shaking so bad, I almost fell over. 
And I got assigned a mentor. His name was Chuck Artimovich, and um, big TCU fan. I'll never forget that. And Chuck believed that I had more in me than what I was actually demonstrating at Lockheed. And I bring this up because the key for me long-term was having a really great mentor who took a personal interest at seeing me as a young engineer, barely knowing how to speak to anyone, and said, Rob, you've got a lot of great attributes in the way you think about life, but I need to teach you and train you how to begin thinking about uh, the, the power that you have, which is the spirit of collaboration and being able to externally articulate and advocate for that in, in, in the roles that you're going to play and serve in the future. And so um, the reason I believe that I've been successful up until this point is because the struggles I had growing up at school and sports forced me to believe the only way I was going to be successful is through the power of teamwork. And I've lived that my entire life. And so whether that was me on the F-35 program inside of Lockheed Martin or going into the Skunk Works not knowing anything about nanotechnology but being asked to run a nanotechnology program or leaving Lockheed Martin and moving my family to Youngstown, Ohio, not knowing anybody in the Midwest, not knowing anything about Midwestern culture Mm -hmm. and having to figure out how to support a presidential initiative under Obama, which was make 3D printing great in America. Um, that whole journey, I think, is what positioned me um, to, to be accepted uh, by A&M uh, because it was a conversation I had with Dr. Banks, President Banks now. Yes. Uh, she was the director of T's at the time where she said, would love to bring you home and have you start to think about how you might could do something similar here within the A&M family. Um, and T's would be a great place for you to be a part of and start to think about how to grow manufacturing at the state level, and then let that go to the national level. And that's really the journey that I've sort of been on, which has allowed me to be introduced to people, uh, build relationships. And so I'm just a huge believer personally in the power of relationship, the power of partnership, not transactional. Right. The real connection that you make with people out in industry that lasts forever, that you can always call on. And I think that's what I try to bring to the table when I'm when I'm operating inside of A&M, operating across centers, whether it be the Nuclear Power Institute, doing an educational program, or whether it be something that is more focused on basic research. I think that that's the spirit that I'm trying to accomplish. Well, obviously you are accomplishing it, and we appreciate it. And I do want to make note and thank you again. You have been one of our Clean Smarts Masterclass <laughs> yeah. experts for two years in a row. And, of course, the content that you provide is exceptional. We always get great feedback. So I want to make sure and thank you for that publicly. But to me, it is um, so many different ways I want to go. But you mentioned your TED Talk. And, I, of course, um, as a good researcher, I did <laughs> uh, see it. And it was it was exceptional. But let's talk about vulnerability for a minute, yeah. if you don't mind. Because you were vulnerable. And... Uh, And I'm of the opinion that in our most vulnerable states, our weakest states, for me, that has always been my strongest time. Um, When I took the time, first of all, to catch my breath, to breathe, but that's when I found my true strength. But can you talk about what and how vulnerability has um, informed the way you've had your interactions, your professionalism, and how you continue to nurture teamwork. Yeah, I. this is actually something that's very important to me. I have told, I've been very fortunate to lead so many different people, early career, late career, and um, I said the best day in my life is when I'm giving someone a promotion 
or I'm finding out I'm working for them. And that's hard to, to accept by many people. Mm-hmm. Why, would you, why would you think that that's, that's success? And it means because we've built a connection and that together we've put someone in a position to be successful. And it's yes. no different than a coaching tree. That's the way I think about it. Yes. You know, and so for me, my, my, my sort of personal, the way I think about life is I, I believe that the connection I make with people is, is, is beyond um, something that gets published in a magazine. Yes. Um, because we're just trying to do life together and it's complicated. And so I appreciate when other people are, are, are having struggles because I probably had the same one the week before. Um, and I feel and take it personal that my job is to help make people successful. And for me, fortunately, that's allowed me to be successful. Um, but I think that being vulnerable, being willing to share, um, not overly share, but just letting people understand that we're, we're all in this together is something that I take very, very serious um, and try to instill that into my teammates, my kids. My wife and I talk about that all the time with our boys, how important it is uh, to look at life as not just a series of individual discrete events, but as this very complex and beautiful opportunity for us to discover something new every day. And it doesn't matter if you're trying to work in nanotechnology, 3D printing, uh, nuclear power, it's all the same at the end of the day, right? We go home and, and, and we, we feel proud about what we were able to accomplish. And I think the, the idea of vulnerability plays into that for me. I love that. And I love how you used uh, the word beautiful so freely and especially um, in the realm of technology because yeah. most people don't ever hear those connections of using the word beautiful and technology. Uh, so it's refreshing to hear. And, and you're speaking our language because I think for us, we have a very small but mighty team, as I like to tell everyone, because I'm so proud of our very small team that work very, very hard. And and for me, I think that is the beauty of working with a team and having the privilege of being able to lead in some capacity is seeing others uh, that you work with do well. Yeah. And for me, and maybe this goes back to my years of being an educator, it's when maybe a colleague um, or, you know, again, a friend, uh, whoever it might be, when they realize something about themselves um, or they realize a, a, an ability, a capability, or in, maybe in some of our discussions today in a way that they can collaborate. To me, those are the beautiful moments when you see the possibilities. So when you talked about... Yeah. Uh, the new position or working for someone that really resonates with me. So I I love hearing you say that. And again, from someone from your stature, it's it's so important for the general audience to hear that because I think when they will review your CV, they may not re- realize that you have that side to you, that capability. Well, you know, it's interesting because every day there are firsts that are mm-hmm. that are around us and we don't realize it it's our our kid taking their first steps it's our our first kid graduating college it's uh one of our loved ones that's doing something for the first time that you didn't expect them to be able to do yes. it's a it's it's the first uh death that you have in your family because mm-hmm. you lose a parent yes. um i got to experience a really interesting set of firsts when i was at america makes we got to see the first 3d printed medicine and what that was going to do for epilepsy patients we got to see the first 3d printed part that was put in space and actually done by a high school student through a competition 
where they actually 3D printed a tool on the International Space Station. I got to see the first 3D printed uh, Federal Aviation Administration certified structure that went onto a, a, a you know a commercial airplane. And I think that that is one of the things that we take for granted mm-hmm. is when we when we go home and we 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 forget to take a step back and realize. When I use the word beautiful, it's because all of these things are happening around us and we don't take enough time to appreciate what we just witnessed. Mm-hmm. And one of the amazing parts about being here in Tees and just in A&M in general is we're surrounded by this yes. constantly. It's yes. every minute there's something new that's happening. And um, I think that part of our jobs as leaders are to celebrate together the successes that other people are having and bring that to a story that can relate to somebody else's interests. And and that's where I get so just jazzed about, you know, what I get to do every single day, yes. getting to run our manufacturing initiatives and the Secure America Institute that we stood yes. up a couple years back and brought on a, a few programs that, you know, we're very proud of, but we think we're only getting started. So all of that is just really exciting. It is exciting, and and I love learning about all the new um, endeavors that you all are working on and the projects. And, and of course, as I mentioned before our talk, we need to make a more close tie, (laughs) which I will be very intentional about. Um, But I I think, too, Rob, I I think about when you speak about leadership, uh, because I'm fascinated with leadership, I've spent a lot of time studying leadership, but I want to hear your perspective on perhaps the difference between leadership and management. Yeah. Is there a difference for you? And if there is, what are those differences? There's a huge difference, and we need management. We, We need to be able to manage to good project schedules, and we need to be able to control budgets, but that is not leadership. Uh, leadership is, in my opinion, setting inspiration and vision. It's being a role model. Um, it's bringing the vulnerability into conversations. It's being approachable. Um, it's it's allowing your team to feel like that you are a person that they want to rally around and get behind. And one of the jokes that I used to make with one of my old mentors, not Chuck, but a gentleman by the name of Ralph, who was my boss at America Makes, but also a good mentor, he used to say that it felt felt, felt like we were the Kool-Aid man. And I don't remember if you if you remember I the commercial, do, yes. right? The, there was a brick wall yeah. and the Kool-Aid man, and he'd bust through, and he'd go, oh, yeah. That's what you want your leaders yeah. to do is to, is to bust down walls, mm. not selfishly, but for the people who need you to do that. That's right. And so I think it's an, it's, it's an attitude. And, right, there's so many books about leadership, and mm. I've read them all, and you've read them all. Mm. And there are certain attributes that say this is what a good leader is. And yeah. I love to read Inc.com, and yeah. they talk about what Steve Jobs did and what all these other great leaders do. And interestingly enough, um, Elon Musk has recently come out, and they ask him if he thinks micromanagement's a good thing. Mm. And you know what his answer was? Probably No. <laughs> <laughs> no, because he believes in nano management. Oh my so he's on the opposite end of, you know, <laughs> the idea of what management is. Because, again, we do need that. But, yeah. but I think the, the role of a leader is, is often misunderstood. I think we put a lot of emphasis on putting really great people who are competent mm-hmm. technically in certain roles because of what they've been able to do technically. Yes. And we actually miss the opportunity to put someone in a role who's a true leader that can drive strategic thought 
and direction and build a team dynamic that lets everyone feel like they're all Kool-Aid men or women. That's exactly. Kool-Aid people. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) I love that analogy because that takes me back to my childhood. So yes, I agree with that. And I want to take, just pivot. We're going to go back and forth a little bit. But as you're speaking about leadership and management, I'm having flashbacks to your uh, TED Talk. And, And you were very vulnerable when you talked about the team sports that you attempted yeah. to play. Now, again, uh, we have a very diverse audience, so I'm thinking of them right now, and I'm also thinking of young people that maybe it wasn't sports-related, but maybe it was academically related. When you were in those stages of your life, when you were not feeling the success you had hoped for, that you had been working for, how did you deal with those levels of disappointment and emotion. Um, and again, I'm thinking of our young people in our programs that are go- probably dealing with this right this very moment. Because as you probably recall well, it's hard growing up. Yeah. And it is hard being an adolescent. It's hard being a teenager. All those years for all the reasons, it is difficult. But how Can you talk about that, how you were able to negotiate those feelings within yourself and maybe even some remarks that people may have made to you that weren't very kind? Yeah. You know, I I think um, we we all want to be part of something, Mm. all of us, even if we're not today and we're sitting alone in a room and we're, we're wondering how we got where we are, whether you're an adult or an adolescent or a preteen. And I, I think for me, it was the drive to be part of something that actually allowed me to realize that the sport I chose, which was golf, still allowed me to be part of something. It allowed me to connect with a group of people who had a, a common set of interests. Mm-hmm. You know, I met recently just actually talked about this with my son because he tried the team sports and struggled mm-hmm. also. Mm-hmm. He got cut from basketball the first year he tried out. He wasn't good at football and he picked mm-hmm. up running and he wasn't super great at running to begin with, but what he did was he started to fall in love with the people who were also running, and they started to pull him along with him, and he got better and better and better, and now he's part of the team. And it doesn't matter if it's a sport or an academic situation you find yourself in. To me, it's always trying to find somebody that you can relate to that can help you become a better person. And that's so hard in today's environment, especially with the way social media um, plays very important roles, uh, but can be dangerous at the same time absolutely. because it's hard to understand what the reality is behind what's going on through these digital screens. Yeah. We didn't have that growing up. Mm-hmm. Uh, what we had was the, the human connection that I think sometimes uh, is more important than the, the digital interface. Yes. So I used the, the power of the human connection. You know, I, I had a, a youth group that I was a part of. I had friends that were in school who uh, were playing the, the, the golf that, I said, I, I need to be some part of something. And yes. I remember he took me out there and I, I walked my first round. His name was Franklin with a bag and like three sets of clubs. It weighed like 50 pounds. And I was just dragging him down the golf course, not knowing what I was doing. But I just thought, man, this is really cool because I'm getting to actually do something with a buddy yes. where I've been sort of outcast in these other things. And so I don't know. That's the way I think about it. I think about the, the, the connection of people trying to be part of something. And again, it doesn't matter what you're a part of. If you love video games, yes. if you love cooking, if you love singing, if you love choir, if you love church, 
if you love just hanging out at the mall, it doesn't matter as long as I think you're with people. Because I think by nature, aren't we usually wanting to sort of be with people? There's a book called Tribe that says this. That's true. You know? Part of the human condition. Part of the human condition, yeah. I and just to take a step further into that, going back to the comments that you made about you know presenting and just being so nervous, um, but you know you wanting to make that presentation, I, I'm wondering again. Sometimes when, especially at the beginning of our careers, or maybe even when students are still in school, they have those experiences where they made themselves vulnerable. They this was their chance to maybe shine a bit. Yeah. But they maybe didn't go uh, as well as they thought, or maybe those nerves really got the best of them. What was some of that self-talk? Or uh, maybe that's not what you called it, but how did you continue to force yourself to go in that direction? I mean, I know you you wanted connection and you wanted to be part of something, but there are times where we all have to stand alone. Just Mm -hmm. now, you're sitting over there with that mic all by yourself. How do you talk to yourself in a way that you've, you don't really feel comfortable, but you want to do it? You know you can do it, but you just have to get through it. Um, there was a uh, documentary I was watching not too long ago on Netflix, and I'll never forget because it was so powerful just because of the situation I find yes. myself in with boys and, and, a, and a team that were growing inside yes. of my institute, et cetera. And um, it said no one ever started at the top of the mountain. Yep. And none of these large companies started that way. They started with usually one or two people in a garage somewhere. Mm-hmm. Everyone has to start somewhere, and they have to fail over and over and over again. And I think for me, it's one of those deals where you have to convince yourself that it's okay to be a failure. It's okay to sit alone. It's okay to cry. It's okay to laugh. It's okay to wonder. It's okay to have no answers because that's part of discovering what it is ultimately you're going to be good at capable of and actually being part of this team that we just kind of got through talking about, I was terrible at self-talk. I was extremely negative. Mm -hmm. I convinced myself almost every day that I was worthless because I got cut from a basketball team. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until, you know, I had really great parents that helped me through this. Not everybody has that. That's right. And um, I think that's why I'm saying it's important to be a part of a group because there will be people helping you get pulled along. And by the way, I think part of our responsibility as leaders is to is to serve and reach out and find those that we can mentor. You know, we get so hung up on the day-to-day grind That's that right. we forget to take a step back and say, look, there's a lot of young people out there that just need to be loved and hugged. That's exactly And right. it's okay to do that. Yes. You know, and I think that's so important. But the self-talk part of it that you just asked about, I think is one of the hardest things in the world to get through. I'm watching my kids do deal with it right yes. now. Um, it's really easy to be negative. It's super hard to be extremely positive, especially when things aren't going your way. And so I can only offer encouragement. I love that. You know, and and um, that I think that's that's about it, as much as I, I can offer. But it's important, right, to try to find something you can hold on to because because yeah. because we're all unique and we all have gifts. Um, it's just a matter of believing that your uniqueness and your gift is good enough, and it certainly is. I love that. I just recently heard a quote, and um, it was lovely, and, and maybe it doesn't fit all audiences, but um, it, it was something like, you're a masterpiece because you're a piece of the master. <laughs> and I love that, but it always takes me back to, um, especially when I worked on high school campuses, I I remember you know having conversations with students, 
about them trying to find themselves and, and come to terms with, you know, staying positive and pushing forward, trying to find their confidence. And, and to me, my, my, I guess, perspective for young people, well, for everyone really, but especially when working with young people, it's that, um, again, my perspective is that we're all born special. Mm. And I know, know there's a whole um, audience out there that totally refutes that. There's a wave of a philosophy where no one's special, right? But my perspective is that we're all born special, but it's those of us who choose to believe every day that we are special. And yeah. if you acknowledge that and accept that and work toward that, even though you may not always feel it, that that's where you'll be able to accomplish that you are special because maybe you said you were, but because you have a purpose, you want to do more. So, but thank you so much for taking that time to go that emotional route with me. Yeah, but of course. it's important. It's important to the work that we do. And I think it's important for our audience to hear. Yeah, Valerie, it is important. And, you know, I, you know, I get to come to work every day and work on national level problems. Yes. You know, we have a manufacturing crisis in the country. We, we, mm -hmm. we struggle to compete with the rest of the world. There's countries around the world that are looking to literally take down our country. And we get to work on those problems. And it's so incredibly gratifying to know that we're working on these big, giant problems. Um, but none of that matters if we can't feel like that our, the work that we do on a day-to-day -day basis is contributing in a way that, that, that plays to the strengths that each of us bring to the table. That's right. And um, none of it matters if we go home and we can't celebrate together successes we've had as a, as a group. And when I look at my team today, and if you looked across every single one of these people, you'd say they have nothing in common. And that's the beautiful thing about that it. That is the beautiful aspect. Right? Because mm -hmm. it, they're so crazy different <laughs> yes. that if you were to put them in a room just like this and ask them to try to do something together, it might be difficult at first, but that's the whole storming thing. Because once you get through those four steps and you start performing, anything is possible. That's where the magic happens. That's where the magic happens. Love yeah. it. And thank you for bringing up manufacturing because I would like to pivot to that yeah. area. So... Again, for the audience, why is manufacturing in the U.S. so important, Rob? Yeah, manufacturing is extremely important for a handful of reasons. The National Association of Manufacturers actually talks about, NAM is the acronym for this mm -hmm. organization, the manufacturing multiplier. Mm -hmm. And inside of these reports, it talks about that for every one job in manufacturing, there's three or four additional jobs that, that have to be created to support the one manufacturing job. It talks about every dollar of economic output, what that does in other services to support that manufacturing role in terms of its economic output, and it's two or three dollars to one. And so they call that the return multiplier. Um, manufacturing for the history of mankind has been at the core of innovation. And you can go read article after article after article about the process of making things mm -hmm. as an enabler for how things have been discovered or the process of trying to make things better or faster or cheaper or more capable is mm -hmm. the reason that things were discovered. And so manufacturing at its core is what drives the spirit of innovation in the, the U.S., really, the world, really. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for us, when we started to in the late 90s and the early 2000s, uh, look to global 
globalization and sort of global economies, which, which is great that we have allies right. all over the world right. and we, we partner with countries. We started to, to take core competencies of manufacturing offshore and it left giant pockets of sort of darkness and void that we're trying to recreate and bring yeah. back. Um, we make things in America. We still lead yes. at making things in America, but we don't make certain key things. That's why the word critical supply chains around manufacturing being discussed today. Uh, matter of fact, another program we've recently just uh, been awarded, you'll love this acronym. It's D-O-D-O-L-D-C-C-D-M-S-C-P. <laughs> so Please explain. The Department of Defense, <laughs> Defense Manufacturing Community Support Program, Texas Defense Aerospace Manufacturing Community. That's impressive. Yeah, so, <laughs> so that's a long acronym. But that is a program that is actually trying to drive smart manufacturing, things like advanced robotics, 3D printed, augmented reality, connected devices, 5G, cybersecurity. And how do we get that into the hands of the aerospace community in Texas? We lead the nation in aerospace manufacturing in Texas. That's impressive. Say that again because many people may not know that fact. We lead in the nation aerospace manufacturing. Incredible. And... The 2020, 2021 timeframe, the, the federal government was spending roughly half a billion dollars, half a trillion dollars, $500 billion in, in defense spending. $300 billion of that was in aerospace. And Texas did almost $100 billion of that. Goodness. So we did 20% of the majority of the, def, you know, we did 20% of the defense spending in Texas with almost all of it being in aerospace. But the interesting fact is that while we think about the large corporations, and I worked for one of them, Lockheed Martin, of the 23,000 manufacturers in Texas, almost all of them are small business. Mm. So now we have a challenge. We are a state agency who's charged with making an impact for the state of Texas and the people of Texas and to drive technology transition and commercialization and research and workforce into the state for good economic benefit. Majority are small business. Smart manufacturing is a concept for small business that is hard for them to understand, justify the economics behind it. Yes. Why do we take a lot of very expensive technologies and bring it into a business environment that I might not necessarily need yet? Those are the same questions we were asking when we were trying to decide if we wanted to put a supercomputer in our pocket called an iPhone. Yeah. But now we all do. And so the mission that the DOD has asked us to go tackle, or at least try to tackle inside the state through the DOD, OLDCC, DMSCP, right? All that. Yeah. TADMC, um, is to try to infuse smart manufacturing technologies into the 23,000 manufacturers all across the state of Texas. That is a big, bold goal. Um, we only got $5 million bucks to do it. And so if you can imagine, that's only scratching the surface. So we're trying to be very um, deliberate and intentional with how we move out. And guess what? It goes all the way back to what we just got through talking about, the power of the partner. T's cannot with $5 million, go serve 23,000 manufacturers to advance the smart manufacturing agenda critical to national security unless we partner with organizations like the EDCs, the Economic Development Corporations yes. all across the state, like the Texas Association of Manufacturers down in Austin, like the Greater Houston Partnership in Houston, like TMAC, the Department of Commerce's Manufacturing Extension Partnership. This is a network of networks approach. And the reason we pitch that is because... We believe that the power of the partner is the only way we can solve these national level problems 
here at home in the state of Texas. Thank you for that because I, I love how you made the connection of your networks that when you're, maybe this is a, a concept that was initiated by DOD, but how it all connects to state and local agencies and committees and different kinds of commissions because I think for so many uh, in the general public may not realize the importance of some of these agencies and, and commissions and these offices and how they really do work together for these large-scale enterprises. Um, so you sharing that perspective is is really important. Um, can, you, can you talk about maybe a particular partnership? Um, again, for the audience, what that would look like. If you are initiating a particular project, it could be something current in the past or yeah. maybe just made up. How would you, in a leadership position, initiate those conversations for those that really are beginning to think about it or have never really considered it? How do, what does that look like to initiate relationship building? Yeah. It, what it is not is transactional. What it is not is giving someone a purchase order and then saying, go deliver me something, and then when we're done, we're best friends. Yes. And often, that's how we measure the partnership relationship. And I will hear, I'll tell you that that's the worst way of creating long-term, uh, deep partnership. There's nothing wrong with spending money with your partners, yes. especially when it's supported by a federal contract or something like that. But the point is... To start a really great partnership, you've got to find the win-win. And there are several of these that we've created over the last couple of years within the Secure America Institute where, for example, um, organizations making very sophisticated composite parts for aerospace applications. They're looking to grow their portfolio. We happen to be an organization that because we work for T's that is charged by the state of Texas to make an impact to organizations like that I'm referring to. And we start to realize that through the support and the partnership together, they could begin to look at new automated ways to make their composite process more affordable, more productive. And what does that mean? Does that mean that we're automatically entering into a research program? Not at all. What it means is that we're looking for uh, uh, like objectives that we can go raise money around yeah. through investments at the federal level, at the state level. It means that we're um, sharing in stories together, that we're writing each other in and, and talking about what we're doing to support the aerospace industry through composite manufacturing. Mm -hmm. uh, it means that we're, we're standing arm-locked in trade shows, uh, bragging about the great work that we're doing together. Mm -hmm. And you start to realize that no financial transaction has happened, yet we're literally going out and trying to talk about how we're changing the world together on a certain technology area, in this case, it being composites. And this is a true story. We're doing this right now. Will it lead to a program of record with funding? Absolutely it will, because we've bought into the idea that the partnership for the long run is good for the business, yes. and it's great for what we're trying to accomplish as an agency. And those two things together makes the state of Texas excellent. Mm -hmm. I love that. I love that hearing, especially as a Texan. So yeah. <laughs> it's good stuff. So of all your projects, your initiatives, all the things, which one is a standout for you? Which one maybe perhaps are you most proud of? You know, I, I think that, um, well, first of all, I'm proud of all of them. <laughs> yes. 
But I'm really, really proud of the one that we got to partner with Cindy, Cindy Lolly on. Dr. Lolly and, and the workforce um, initiative she's got going on, I think, is really special. And the reason is because um, it starts with K through 12. It goes into the community college. It goes into higher education. But then it goes to the workforce. And it looks at uh, unemployed workers. It looks yes. at underemployed workers. It looks at retiring veterans. You know, it looks at... Um, upskilling um, workers who may be sitting in a relatively low-wage job and giving them an opportunity to learn a new skill. Um, and all of that tied to national security needs because it's sponsored by the Department of Defense. I'm really proud of that one. Um, manufacturing is always going to be my passion, but the manufacturing workforce is still something very, very important. And Cindy and I joke, we've got such a great relationship. She said, well, we would be great on the same team, but you're busy off running your thing and I'm busy off running my thing, but it works well because we yes. both have these, these common objectives. So I, I think that one is I'm most proud of at the moment because we're probably the furthest along in it and we're seeing the biggest impact at the moment. Um, by the way, that, that program is, is leading to some really great uh, opportunities to highlight tees through some really awesome visits coming up by some senior level defense officials that, that are going to be coming and visiting and um, getting to be tied into things like the Bush Combat Development Complex, mm -hmm. all of that still requires a great workforce component to it. And so yes. I think that's probably at the moment my most favorite one. Fantastic. Fantastic. And I'm trying to be aware of the time. Uh, time seems to escape me in this room. But but just to turn a little bit more, again, to the personal side of things, you have three sons. Mm -hmm. And as they they look at you, what do you want them to see? Of you when they look at you, Rob? I want them to see um, a role model that is their dad, but is someone that they can look up to to say, um, while life is hard, uh, life is not uh, overcomable. And and I, I believe that that's what they see. And it, and it goes with um, when they have a problem working a math mm -hmm. quiz or an art project and they're frustrated and they're, they're flipping out about not knowing how they're going to do their thing. It's very easy to get frustrated at that whole dynamic because you want to blame the teacher. You want to blame the, the Texas education agency. You want to blame all these things, right? Yeah. Because there's requirements being levied on the kids. And what I want my kids to understand is that there are no excuses, right? We, we all have bosses. We all have requirements. And our job is, is, is really great people is to figure out how to work within those constraints. And I yes. think that that's something I've tried to instill in my children. Um, and I, and I, I, it's starting to show up on the basketball court, on the track, and it's starting to show up in the academics. Um, and if, if I can leave that with my children, I think I'm going to be very, very happy. And my wife and I talk about this all the time, about how important that is, because I don't know if we teach that enough uh, for, the young, for the young people, that things are always going to be hard. Right. Always. But for me, I believe my job and what I want them to see out of me is that um, there's always an answer. You just have to look hard, so harder sometimes to find it. Mm -hmm. No doubt they do. No doubt they do. So as we begin to wrap up, is there anything that you would like to talk about that maybe I haven't touched on or any other comments that you'd like to make as we close? You know, I, yeah, a couple things. Mm -hmm. I, I just think that... Um, the more we can have these conversations, Valerie, the better. I, I get asked a lot of times, hey, 
who owns this nationally and who's supposed to be leading this nationally and why can't we look like these people and why are these people better than, than us? None of that matters based on how complex this country is, this world is. And so I just wanted to say how much I appreciate you letting me have this conversation with you because we should be doing these every minute. Yes. Um, everyone ha- should have an opportunity to take a break for a second yes. and kind of reflect on what matters to them. And um, I just I just am very humbled by you asking me to come participate in this with you today and, and just share a little bit about who I am and maybe that's of interest to people. But more than that, I think it reflects the spirit um, that we represent within Tees. Absolutely. It, it represents the spirit of collaboration between two institutes. Yes. Um, I've seen other podcasts that you've done, and it shows the spirit between a core functions we have within our organization, like yes. human resources. Yes. And that's what I think when people think about who we are as Tees and think about the mission we're on as a state agency – and we talk about our core values of yes. respect, excellence, leadership, loyalty, integrity, and selfless service. That, to me, is the, the home run, take-home message that I'm always trying to have people understand, that they're not just doing business with Valerie or Rob. Yeah. They're doing business with a spirit and a determination to meet someone else's ultimate request. Mm, that's, so That's so well put. Thank you. And, and, and as our guest, we are so honored, as, as I said at the outset, that – Rob, it is such a joy to work with you. Your your passion is unmatched, and your desire to collaborate and innovate is is contagious. And it's such an honor having you here. And 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 to all that all those that are listening, I think it is important to have these conversations because, as you mentioned, um, our our agency, the system, is filled with these amazing people that feel quite normal and simple but all of us working together is a beautiful thing so yeah. thank you for always having that spirit of collaboration and your generosity and time and talent it's it's a wonderful thing yeah thank you for having me i really appreciate it lovely so to our audience i hope you've had the opportunity to listen to this entire conversation and all of our other conversations on all of our platforms and like rob i hope we all allow ourselves to feel vulnerable so that we can feel strong and accomplished. Thank you and have a wonderful day.